If you have your Bibles, let's open those to the book of Luke chapter 19. Luke 19, and we're going to be in verse 11. We've been on our series in Luke. I was looking back. It's been, it's been a while now because we started back in February. I've been enjoying it a lot. Um, we'll see as far as how schedule works out when we get to December. You know, December is Advent, the four Sundays before Christmas. So we usually take a little bit of a different tone there. We'll see what the Lord wants to do. Uh, so you may see a pause on that, but uh, it, it's going to be good. I'm looking forward to it. So Luke 19 and in verse 11, go ahead and read that and then we'll pray over the word. It says the crowd was listening to everything Jesus said. And because he was nearing Jerusalem, he told them a story to correct the impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. He said a nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. Before he left, he called together 10 of his servants and divided among them 10, 10 pounds of silver, saying, invest this for me while I'm gone. But it, his people hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we do not want him to be our king. After he was crowned king, he returned and called in the servants to whom he had given the money. He wanted to find out what their profits were. The first servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made 10 times the original amount. Well done, the king explained, exclaimed. You are a good servant. You have been faithful with the little I entrusted to you. So you will be governor over 10 cities as your reward. The next servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made five times the original amount. Well done, the king said. You will be governor over five cities. But the third servant brought back only the original amount of money and said, Master, I hid your money and kept it safe. I was afraid because you are a hard man to deal with, taking what isn't yours and harvesting crops you didn't plant. Verse 22, you wicked servant, the king roared. Your own words condemn you. If you knew that I'm a hard man who takes what isn't mine and harvests crops I didn't plant, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then turning to the others standing nearby, the king ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one who has 10 pounds. But master, they said, he already has 10 pounds. Yes, the king replied, and to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. But from those who do nothing, even what they have will be taken away. And as for these enemies of mine who didn't want me to be their king, bring them in and execute them right here in front of me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can hold it in front of us, a revelation of who you are, your nature, your character, and how you work, what your kingdom is truly like. Holy Spirit, I pray that you open our eyes to the wonders of your word today. Teach us in the way that only you can and build us up in Jesus' name. Amen. So as believers, we have a joyful hope, right? We have a hope in the kingdom of God. Uh, that we will see darkness and evil and sin completely and utterly defeated with finality, both in our lives and in the world that we live in. There will be a reclamation. There will be a restoration, a glorification, like I said, for me, for us and for the world that we live in creation itself. And we know that's coming. 
And we have a taste of that on the inside of us now in the spirit. That's what he says. We have a taste of, of that right now, but we know that there's more to be had. And so we're stuck in this already, but not yet time frame. We're in between a, a taste of his glory and experiencing that in its fullness. And, and that brings about what the Bible says is a groaning in us to want to see the kingdom in its fullness and in its finality. It even says creation. Paul talks about that in Romans chapter eight. He says creation groans, looking forward, eagerly hoping and for, for, for everything to be made new. And of course, we groan to be released from the sinful world that we live in, the, the sinful tendencies that we still find at war in our own heart, not, not just delivered out of them, but delivered into glory. And so there's a tension there that we live in and we want it to be over. We want all tension to be over. And Jesus knows that, that we all believers would, would feel that way. And so he told us what to do in the meantime here at the beginning of this passage in verse 11. He's very clear. He says the whole crowd was listening to Jesus. And because he was nearing Jerusalem, he told them a story to correct the impression that the kingdom of God will begin right away. I'm glad when he's very explicit on why something's in there. What am I supposed to learn from this? He tells me what I'm supposed to learn from this to correct the impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. It says he was nearing Jerusalem, which was a big deal for them. There were a lot of people that were following him that had been under the oppression of the Roman government, the corrupt uh, uh, Hebrew government that was still in place. That was just a puppet of the Romans that they wanted that to be over. They wanted to be delivered. And they remember the stories like Moses uh, leading the people out of Egypt or David defeating the Philistines, Joshua taking the promised land. They remember these stories. And then Jesus shows up and he's different than anyone else that they've ever met before. And he's doing mighty works, miracles in their midst. So there were a lot of them that thought we're going to, when he finally turns his face towards Jerusalem, toward everything else was uh, set up. All the rulership of the area was set up. When he turns his face towards Jerusalem, we're going to go there. He's going to do mighty. The, the, he, he's been healing people. He's been feeding people. There's no telling what he's going to do when we get there. He's going to unite the 12 tribes of Israel and he's going to lead us in dominance and we're going to take it back and they're going to be, our enemies are going to be destroyed and we're, he's going to rule from the throne in Israel and everything is going to be good again. That's what they were expecting to happen. And that's why it says here that Jesus is correcting the impression that the kingdom of God will begin right away. Their impression was that he's going to take over just like David would have, just like Moses leading the people out, just like Joshua taking down uh, the Canaanite cities. That's what many of them were expecting. And he's like, I, I, I hear that groaning in you. I hear that wanting it to be made right. But I want to make sure you understand what's going to happen. What I'm going to do, because even if he had done that, even if he did all that we just outlined, they would be good for about 20 to 50 years. That's what we see in the Old Testament. They were, they'd be good for about 20 to 50 years. And then the heart of the people would do what? Would turn back to evil things, would turn back to carnality. So what Jesus was doing was he was going to strike the crushing blow to the true enemy, which was sin and death. So he told them this to correct the impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. And he says there was a nobleman 
who was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. So it's also really clear who's who in this story that he's about to tell. The nobleman is a type of Jesus. He's about to go away, right? He's going to go to heaven. He's going to be crowned king and then he's going to come back as king and ruler. So there was a nobleman who went away to a foreign land to be crowned king and then to return. And also it says that there was a delegation that was sent after him who says, hey, 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 we don't want him to be our king. We don't want this guy because, right, he was experiencing that too. And it was also connected in history. They had done that when they found out that the Romans were going to put Herod above the Jews, that he was going to be the ruler over the area. They sent a delegation to Rome. It was like, hey, hey, we don't really want this guy. We don't want him. But it says then he's going to go away. They sent away a delegation. We don't want him to be our king. But before he left, he called together 10 of his servants and divided among them 10 pounds of silver. Yours may say minus. And it was, that was a pound of silver. And what he told them was engage in business with this while I'm gone. Do the business that I would be doing while I'm gone. Profit from it. And then I'm going to come back and expect a result there. Right. Carry on my operations with my assets. And again, it says his people hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want him to be our king. Of course, we know here in a few chapters that those same people that he's many of the same people he's going to talk to would advocate crucifying him. Like we see Jesus. We hear what he has to say. We don't want him to be our king. So some of this for them, this story, I have to feel like they would look back on this. After his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, and they would think back on it and see it a lot differently. You know, like that scene in movies when towards the end of the movie, they'll show you scenes from the beginning of the movie. But in the context of everything that you know now, and you're like, oh, he was really the guy. Oh, that's how they did that. Right. And so I think that's how it would have happened for them. But he calls his servants, 10 of them. And he says, I'm going to give each of you some of the assets of my kingdom while I go away. And then I'm going to come back and you engage in business while I'm gone. And then in verse 15, in, in spite of a delegation being sent saying, we hate him. We don't want him to be our king. He was still crowned king. In verse 15, he returned after being crowned king. And called in his servants to whom he had given the money. He wanted to find out what their profits were. So he returns and he has an expectation of his servants that they would have expanded his kingdom while he was away. They would, they would have taken what he gave them and grown it. And again, Jesus is the king in this scenario. Who are the servants? It's his disciples. It's even us, right? We can read ourselves into this Story: the, Those that are followers of Christ. Why? Because he's told us, I'm going ahead of you to prepare a place for you. Right? In his father's house, there are many mansions. And if it wasn't so, he would have told us. But he's leaving part of the kingdom with us, part of the authority, part of the assets of the kingdom. He's leaving them here with us. And we're to engage in kingdom business in that meantime. And then... The king is going to return in glory. And then what will we have been found to have done? That, that's where the servants are in this. And so there's 10 pounds of silver amongst 10 servants. We don't know how he split it up. But in verse 15, he says, I'm back. 
Come in, y'all report. Y'all tell, tell me how we did. What you've done while I was away. What'd you do with the kingdom assets that you were given? And so servant number one steps up first and he says, Master, I invested your money and made 10 times the original amount. That's pretty good. That's pretty good return. Thousand percent, I think, return on that. So there was increase, there was growth. He worked it. And then he says, that's excellent. Well done. You're a good servant. You've been faithful with little I entrusted you with. So you will be governor over 10 cities as your reward. Parables are usually a little bit hyperbolic. Ten cities is a lot. It's a bunch. So how big is his kingdom when he can give one dude ten cities? You just think about that. But He says, you'll be governor over ten cities. You did a good job. Then servant number two steps up in verse 18. The next servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made five times the original amount. Well done, the king said. You'll be governor over five cities. Now, notice he didn't say just five. Jim got 10. You feeling good about five? He said, good job. Five times as much, 500 percent increase. Great job. You'll be governor over five cities. And know what they said. I invested your money. I took what was yours and I grew it and it's still yours. Right. So it, it belongs to him. And you see that even in the telling of it. The, the master, the king had left them with assets of the kingdom and wasn't unclear about what his expectation was. Take this, do business with it, grow it while I'm gone. I'm coming back. And number one and number two did that. He gave them responsibility, something to be about while he was away. And they did what they were supposed to do. And then servant number three steps up. We only hear from three, right? There were 10, we hear from three. Servant three in verse 20 says, the third servant brought back only the original amount of money and said, Master, I hid your money and kept it safe. I was afraid because you're a hard man to deal with, taking what's not yours and harvesting crops that you didn't plant. So he says, I, I took it. I hid it away so as not to lose it. He thought he had done good by just not doing any harm, I guess. But he said, I hid it away so as not to lose it. Why? Because I know you're a tough man to deal with and I was afraid of you. You're a hard man to deal with. And that, that hit it there may be translated different uh, depending on what version you have. Some of it says hit it. Some of it says buried it in the ground. One of them says I, I, I took it and I wrapped it in a cloth. Given the impression I, I wrapped it up and I put it away. But all of them have the same idea. I, I took it. I hid it away. So this is a servant who has a connection to the kingdom, but didn't respond to the commandment to do business with it, to engage in kingdom business while the king was away. Didn't have intent uh, to serve him by seeing the kingdom grow. Right. And for us, it would be not seeing the kingdom grow in our heart and our life and the area that's around us. Well, I took it and I and I hid it. What did you do with the kingdom that I left with you? Well, I didn't, you know, I didn't want to mess anything up. So I just took it and just kind of hid it away. I didn't do anything. with it. I just wrapped it up in a cloth or I buried it in the ground and I hid it away. Again, what were the instructions? Engage, do business, do the work of the kingdom and see it increase. So this would be someone who has a connection to the kingdom, but it's not visible in their life because they've hidden it away. 
There's no evidence of it in their life, no evidence of love for the king, right? You heard what he said about him. He said, you're a hard man. You, you don't handle your business right. I'm afraid of you. And we can also see some laziness and some selfishness in there. I hid it. There, there's no evidence of obedience or growth in servant number three's life. Now, they didn't have to work to get the assets of the kingdom given to them. He just called them in. He called in 10 servants and split up assets of the kingdom. They didn't have to work to get it. He just called them and gave it to them. Just like he calls us out of darkness into light and says, come on into the kingdom. And then after that, he expected the work to start. Why? Because he had given them what they needed to grow. They didn't have to show up with anything. He didn't say, everybody come on in and bring a half pound of silver. Bring a quarter pound of silver in with you. I'll make up the difference, but you're bringing something. Uh-uh. They didn't have anything except what he had given them. So when he gave them something, he expected them to use what he had given them. Again, number one, grew by a thousand percent. Number two, grew by 500 percent. And number three said, you're mean. You ask too much. And again, I think maybe he thought he had done good because he hadn't done any harm. He took it and he wrapped it away. He's like, this guy, this guy's pretty tough. I'm going to keep this as my insurance so that if he comes back, I'll pull it out and then he won't kill me. Everything will be OK. I'm going I, I'm going at this like he's not coming back because I'm not growing it. But if he does, I'll, I'll try to pull it out. And we do that. We, we've seen that in our life. Right. Or we hadn't had any love or affection for him. We haven't pursued him, but we're willing to go to it if it gets serious, right? If Jesus starts, if the trumpet blows, like, oh man, what? Did, okay, I got to get my stuff together, right? That, that, that's servant number three. This is this is fire insurance for him. Number three is someone who says they're a servant of the kingdom, but there's no evidence of it in their life. No growth. No love for God. Why? Because they have a wrong view of him. You notice that too, right? The other servant's like, hey, boss, look what we did. Look what we did with what you gave us, the assets and the ability, the authority that you gave us while you were gone. Look what we were able to do. And he says, you're harsh. You're awful. I'm afraid of you. Well, that's not a right view of the master or the king, is it? Now, what was the king's response to the servant? Verse 22, you wicked servant. The king roared. Your own words condemn you. If you knew that I'm a hard man who takes what isn't mine and harvest crops I didn't plant, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least you could have gotten some interest on it. So he doesn't defend himself against what he said about him, does he? He doesn't say, you said I was this. I'm not this. He says, even if you were right in what you're saying, that should have made you do something. So I think he's calling him a liar. He said, if you really believe this about me, you would have really been after it. You'd have really been getting some stuff done. And so God will deal with us on what our, our he'll get in our perception with us and deal with us right there. He, he, he said, you're wicked. Your own words condemn you. If you knew that about me, why didn't you at least take my money and deposit it in the bank? You could have at least gotten some interest off of it. So let's stop right here for a second and, and, and come back to. You know, servants one and two, because we hear that like servant one thousand percent increase. Right. He got one. He come back with ten. The other one got one. We think we don't know. We're assuming divided equally. Jesus didn't tell us in his story that he, he crafted 
One got, you know, one came back with 10. One got one came back with five. We're sitting here thinking about that in relation to our life as far as kingdom production. And it's like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to have to move to Honduras. I'm going to have to be a missionary and an evangelist and probably some kind of field doctor to get 10. Ten? 10's a lot. Right. That even intimidates the preacher to go 10, ten God, 10. That's a lot. But look what he said to the to the third servant, because it brings some relief to that pressure. He said to him, why didn't you at least deposit it while I was gone? Why didn't you at least deposit it with the banker and get some interest paid back on it? If we know about interest, interest isn't a huge amount. What is it? It's a little bit each day. It's just a little bit more each day. A small percentage, a fraction of a percent on what you invested, just a little bit back each day. And then over the course of many days, builds up into a, to a pretty good amount, right? Just a little bit at a time. He didn't tell him, you know, Jim got a thousand percent increase, Bob's over a 500, and you, what are you doing? He said, you could have at least taken and grown a little bit each day. Just a little bit each day. Why didn't you at least do that? And then he says in verse 24, he turns to the others standing nearby. So I'm thinking these are the other seven servants so he doesn't have to cover them in the story. He turns to them and says, take what he has, the one that he hid away in the ground that he didn't do anything with and give it to the one that has 10. And this is when we hear the others speak up. The others go, master, he's already got 10. You want us to give him more? He's already got 10. Now, I don't know what their point was in this part of the question. Is it like, you're sure that's not fair? Can we just have his? Why does he get to have another one? He's already got 10. Why does he need another one? And maybe it's not, maybe it's because it's not fair. Maybe it's because, you know, he thought that they thought he should give it to them. But, but the master, his response says, yes, that's what I said. Because to the one who's done nothing, even what he has will be taken away from him. But the one who has done much with what he's been given, more will be given to him. Those that do nothing, even the little that they have, the little that they have that I gave to them, they'll find it taken away And another one will be increased. And then we see in verse 27 that there's judgment for those that hate that hate God. There's judgment coming. And for these of these enemies of mine who didn't want me to be their king, bring them in and execute them right here in front of me, which sounds callous and sounds awful. But we also see Jesus weeping over the city of Jerusalem. So he says this and he knows there's going to be a finality there, but it grieves his heart. It's not a got you. I finally won statement. It's a grief from the heart of the Savior. So to those who use the kingdom well, more will be given to those who do taken away. So remember, as we're as we're walking through this life, when we're experiencing evil and darkness out in the world, there's a groaning on the inside of us to see it all be done away with. There's a groaning on the inside of us to see it all be made right. And Jesus told us what to do in the meantime. 
until it's brought in its fullness. What we're supposed to be doing is taking the kingdom that he's given to us, the access that he's given us, the assets that he's given us, the authority that he's given us and not waste it. Not hide it away, doing nothing with it. We've been given the assets of the kingdom. That one word we've used before is viceroy. To do his business for him while he's away. He's given it to us to do here and now. Acting on his behalf, in his stead, his authority, his power. And this is going to separate people into a couple different groups. You're going to have good servants who understand what's been given to them by the master. Do you understand what he's given you, even just naturally? Your, your natural uh, abilities, your, your, your thought processes, your gifts and your talents, the things that you can do better than other people, the things that he's given you can be used for the kingdom. The abilities that you have, the opportunities that you have that are unique to you. You have opportunities unique to you that no one else has that I can't get in there and and, and mess with. Nobody else can. Opportunities that are unique to you that no one else can touch. And good servants realize the capital that they've been given. In business, we talk about capital, something that's that's valuable, that supports everything that we're doing, something that's sought after because it gives me the ability to act and to do. He's giving us capital in the kingdom. What are we doing with it? He wants us to grow it for his glory and to do it in a way that's going to expand the kingdom. And again, that can be everything that you have can be viewed that way. Your house, your car, not that you have to give it away, but how are you using it to grow the kingdom? How are you using it to grow the kingdom? And again, you don't have to get overwhelmed and go a thousand percent. Goodness gracious. How am I going to do that? I guess I'll be a free Uber for the rest of my life. I don't know. But again, he said, It's acceptable, even if it's just a little bit of interest, a little bit of increase each day. But if you look at it on a one day at a time basis, you'll be like, this is just a few pennies. This is not very much. This is just a little bit. But day after day after day after day, it builds up into something that is worthwhile and weighty. So you've got good servants that realize that and seek to increase the kingdom assets that they've been given. And then you've got what he calls a wicked servant. We definitely don't want to be in this category. Who take the kingdom, see the value of it, see God as mighty, but then hide it away. I want to keep this just in case, you know, he actually comes back and he gets kind of mad about it, but I'm not really going to do anything with it. The wicked servant hid the assets of the kingdom, no growth, and he had a wrong view of the master. But again, wasn't even motivated by that. If he was telling the truth, he would have been motivated by it. So he was just selfish and lazy and cast that back on the king. Well, this is your fault because you're so mean. I was afraid of you. Again, he's either lying to cover his laziness or he doesn't really know the master at all. We don't want to be in that list. We don't want to be in the list of people that don't know him. We want to be in the list of people that are inviting others to know him because that's how we grow the kingdom. What the master prescribes is just a little bit each day. 
everyday faithfulness, he'll come back and be pleased. That everyday faithfulness. The guy or the, the girl, the, the husband or father, the, the mom or the dad, who, who, who every day turns to him as their source and their supply. Every day, just a little bit. Every day in the scripture, just a little bit. Every day in prayer, even just a little bit. Every day doing something that's kind to somebody else when you didn't have to. Every day learning to forgive a little bit more than the day before, because those are kingdom assets too. The grace and the mercy that he's given to us, we can use to minister to others. A little bit each day over a lifetime, over a career working in a place, living with people for that long, it's interest that accrues and builds up. And you don't realize how much you've grown until you look back and go, oh my gosh. Look at where he's brought me just by working what he's given me to do. And again, they didn't have to show up with anything. They showed up with nothing and he gave them everything that they needed to work and to grow and to be productive and effective. Everything that he asked, he provided for. So again, the kingdom is coming. It's coming in its fullness. When? I don't know. For some of us, it may be sooner than others. We don't know. But what we do know is that it's coming and we shouldn't waste the meantime that we have. We shouldn't waste the in-between time that we have, hiding it away like it's not important, hiding it away like he's not coming back, hiding it away like it's not the best thing you've ever been given in your whole life. What are we doing with the capital that we have, with the time that we have? Just think about that. What am I doing with my time? That one really gets to me sometimes. What am I doing with my time? And again, it doesn't mean you have to go, well, I guess I'm going to call my boss. I'm going to stay off all week. I'm going to pray every hour this week. I'm not sleeping. I'm not eating. I'm just praying and reading my Bible. That's where, we, that's where our mind goes to, right? I've got so much I've got to do now. No, that's not what he's asking for. He knows what your life looks like. He just wants that increase every day, that accrual every day where it's on deposit, where, you, where, where, it's, where it's in there and it's working. And every day there's an increase. What are we doing with our time? What are we doing in our relationships? What are we doing with the relationships that we've been given? And again, it's not guilt and shame. I've got to do more. It's I get to do so much more. He's given me this. That, that's one place, the relationships that you have, that you stand unique in. Because you and I can be friends with the same person, but you have a different access to them than I do. And you can speak into their life in a different way than I can. Even if I can and I will, it's different and it's unique to you. What are we doing with those relationships? What are we doing with our energy? What are we doing with our assets, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Everything that we have that's good and valuable, it's come from him. What are we doing with it to honor him? Amen. And a slow, steady gain is not just acceptable, but it will build up into something that will make a weighty difference in your life and in the lives of those around you. Amen. Why don't you stand up with me and we'll pray as we get ready to go. And Andrew, if you'll come, we'll get ready to sing together. What are we doing with what we've been given? He wanted them to know the kingdom isn't going to come like you think it's going to come. It's not going to be, uh, you know, 
flash of war and then we win and everything's okay. He, he, he said, it's going to be like a mustard seed that a man planted in the ground and starts out so small, but then it grows over time to where it's big enough a bird can nest in it or, you know, people can find shade under it. He said, that's what the kingdom growth is going to be like. And that's why a day to day life of faithfulness and dependency on him is going to make so much of a difference. It's just a little bit of growth these days. Some of you, your relationship with Christ started out so all of us started out small. Some of us, some of us stayed small for a little while. Buried in the dirt. Couldn't even see it. Hard to know it's even there, but it was where it was supposed to be. And it's growing and it's producing and it's expanding. And we don't ever want to be embarrassed or ashamed about where we are right now. We just want to have our eyes on where we're headed. It's like, well, he's way on up there. He's got a thousand percent increase. I'm back here. I've got like just this little bit of interest today is all I got. It's okay. We're moving this way. We're moving this way. Because if you get even a room this, this size of men and women seeking God, looking to Him every day, just making our decisions with Him in mind, it will change so much. And that's how the kingdom comes. It doesn't come in a war and you know, swinging swords. It comes by changing one heart at a time. Instead of defeating an enemy, you convert them to a brother. That's how the kingdom grows. What are we doing? with what he's given us. Let's pray. Father, your kingdom is overwhelming and that you would include us in it. God is astonishing. Thank you for your grace and for your mercy because we all stand here having had the heart, at least at one time, of a wicked servant. We were afraid to stand in front of you. We were afraid to, to approach you, to speak to you, because we knew what our life looked like. We knew that we weren't acceptable in your presence, God. But you sent Jesus to make us accept, acceptable, to translate us, to change us, to transform us into the image of your dear children. And Father, I thank you that we would recognize now that as a part of your household, we've been given access to the kingdom. You've given us assets, things that are precious and beautiful and that are made to go to work. Lord, we didn't do anything but believe to get where we are. I thank you that you've given us everything that we need to do what you've asked us to do that we wouldn't be overwhelmed by what a lifetime requires, but we would just focus on each day a small increase in the area of influence that you've given to us. And I thank you that you've given us the promise in this parable that if we're faithful in what you've given us, you're going to expand that out just a little bit further. When we're faithful in that, it'll expand out just a little bit further that when we're faithful with what you've given us, you will give us more, more grace, more mercy, more love, more peace, and more access. God, you give us everything that we need because you love us so much. You give us the desire and the ability to do what pleases you. And I thank you for the awareness of that, that we won't have a misunderstanding of the kingdom, but we'll know what you've given to us. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your church that will honor you as we leave today. I thank you that as we go out, we go in peace and unity together with each other. God, keep us safe. As we go into this week, I thank you that we make our decisions with you in mind. Holy Spirit, lead us, guide us, direct us into paths of righteousness for your name's sake, that others will see our good works and glorify you because they'll know it's not coming from me. 
We love you and we thank you. Lord, I pray for those that aren't able to be here with us today. Uh, Lord, this current situation has us separated to a certain degree, but it doesn't separate us from you. I thank you, Lord, for the love and peace that we feel here. I thank you that they'll receive that right where they are. You are what is most important in our gathering. And I thank you, Lord, that they're not without you today. Lord, bless them and keep them. Make your face to shine upon them. Give them peace in Jesus' name.